Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. It was my privilege recently to talk to Mike Sutcliffe of Hope Builders Ministry on his podcast. Our discussion was about making disciples, and they are doing exactly that, fulfilling the Great Commission around the world. So we talked about the gospel of grace and making disciples. I think you'll enjoy this discussion. With his permission, we're rebroadcasting the whole podcast. Enjoy. Are all Christians disciples? Let's find out today as we speak with uh, teacher and author of the book, Grace, Salvation, and Discipleship, Charles Bing. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this. Welcome to Hope Builders Ministries, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Great Commission. Learn about our work in Africa, Asia, and the United States. Equipping, empowering, and encouraging Christians to become disciples of Christ who make disciples of Christ. Tune in for interviews with indigenous pastors in the countries where we serve, as well as U.S. Christians and pastors, as they talk about the work of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. Visit www.hbmin.org. That's www.hbmin.org to learn more and download the Disciple Makers app. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I am I'm really honored to have the opportunity to speak with Charlie Bing, Charlie Bing, the director and founder of Grace Life Ministries, and. Uh, Good morning, Charlie. How are you today, sir? I'm well, thank you. Good. It's a good day. Well, uh, just just for those who are listening, you have just gotten back uh, from a trip abroad. How was the? How was your recent? You said you were in the Ukraine, right, or Croatia? I was in Ukraine. I was teaching at a Bible uh, college there, and it went went very well. And uh, I think we had an effective ministry with the students. They're very attentive, very very engaged. And uh, so, yeah, just getting up a little jet lag, but that's all right. <laughs> Good. Used to that. Well, I am. Uh, I'm really excited because you the, the words that uh, we're going to talk today about becoming a disciple and what does a disciple look like. And and as I'm talking to other leaders and pastors, I'm finding that the, the common word is student. So you're a teacher. And in fact, uh, we're probably going to reference this book quite a bit today, this grace salvation and discipleship that, that you put together for us. Um, because I think that it's one of the things that I think is lacking, at least here in the Midwest is the, the difference between being a Christian and a disciple. So uh, in your, in your words, maybe you can help us out. What would you describe as the difference between being a Christian and becoming a disciple of Christ? Or is there a difference? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, the, the word disciple comes from the word to be a pupil or to learn. So automatically we know that it's it's a learner. Um, that's a different issue than what it means to be saved because it saves we go from being a sinner to uh, a believer. And that's a matter of believing the gospel. Uh, however, discipleship is a matter of following what Jesus has said after we believe. So there's a distinction between becoming a believer and then following him and faithfully as uh, as a disciple and that's what the word means 
to learn or in, and often the invitation in the gospels that we see is to follow or come after me. So uh, it's, it's interesting when you study the gospels that you see a distinction between Jesus's invitation to come to me, which is one to come to him and believe in him as savior and then come after me, which is an invitation to follow him as a disciple. It's a clear distinction once we, once we get that. And it really opens up a lot of Bible passages for us. So, this is not new. Obviously, uh, when, when I'm reading through this book, uh, it is something that I think that for somebody, I'll use my own experience. I was fortunate. The man who led me to Christ spent a year and a half uh, training me, teaching me how to read scriptures. We would meet for hours on end. I just blessed beyond words. But for the casual reader of scripture, I think a lot of these things get lost. And, and you couple that with the Again, I'm in the Midwest. We have a lot of mega churches. You have, uh, um, you know, Willow Creek, for example. Um, many people go to Willow Creek and, and they have the seeker friendly model. But uh, I think it was Bill Hybels himself who said that years later, he recognized that there was a hunger that had not been met yet. Um, so what, what do you think is the is the is the challenge to get people to understand the difference between those two, the, the disciple and the Christian, because in the scripture, I believe it's somewhere in Acts that we see the difference being used for the first time. And, but that wasn't exactly what we're talking about today. That was more in a negative connotation, correct? Uh, I'm not clear what, he, what you mean by negative. Well, when they used the term Christian, it wasn't like a complimentary term. They weren't like, Oh, look, those oh, are oh, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting that all, all the Christians in the book of Acts are called disciples. And, um, there doesn't seem to be a distinction made. And that, I think the reason for that is because all the Christians we see in the book of Acts are actively following Jesus Christ, except for a few exceptions like Ananias and Sapphira or the sorcerer in chapter eight. And those are called out. So um, the normal uh, response to being a believer in the book of Acts is to be a disciple. I think that's why we see that term there. Um, but what, what's keeping people from seeing that distinction, I think, is is a lot of it is theologically based and how it's taught. There are so many popular teachers who are not making that distinction who, and who are saying that the conditions for discipleship are conditions for salvation. In, in other words, in order to be saved, you need to keep, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, um, obey him, give him all of your life and so on. The list of things that we find in the scriptures as conditions for discipleship. So. That comes uh, in large part from a misunderstanding of scripture in general, but a large part it comes from Calvinistic theology. So you hear a lot of those who are strong Calvinists teaching that, um, in other words, uh, if, if and the reasoning is, I think, that if God gives you the faith to believe, then it's going to be an active faith. It's going to be an obedient faith, and you're going to fulfill these conditions. Um, so it, it really has a theological basis in it. And that, that just obscures the gospel of grace for mm. people. Wow. So, so what would be the, so the, could you describe the difference between a Christian? If somebody were listening to this today, I would think most people just nationality wise, when I talk to people in America, they'll, I would ask, are you a Christian? And they'll say, well, I'm from America as if that, that too are, is automatically tied to salvation. And, and that's not biblically accurate. Um, so, you know, growing up, I probably, even when I wasn't a believer, I probably would have identified as a Christian. Didn't, didn't know Jesus, didn't believe in him for salvation, um, but because I was an American and grew up in the Midwest and had been into a church, that was, that was my salvation story as a child, I guess I would say. 
what would be the difference for that person? What do they need to understand as what does it take to be saved? And then what does it look like to be a Christian? Or I'm sorry, to look like to be a disciple. Yeah. To be saved means to come to Jesus Christ as your savior from sin and to receive the gift of eternal life. To be a disciple means to follow him as your Lord and master. And what, what some people say, make him Lord of your life and then follow what you know to be his will. So salvation is an instantaneous event, but discipleship is a lifetime process. Theologically, we would call salvation justification, which happens in an instant. And we would call discipleship sanctification, which is a lifetime process of being becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, salvation is absolutely free and um, salvation is always presented as costly. Uh, salvation depends on uh, one act of faith or believing in Christ as Savior. Uh, discipleship depends on a life of faithfulness uh, and and paying a price. So uh, those things cannot be confused. Uh, they're 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 quite different, and uh, it, it's an easy distinction to see, especially since Jesus often makes the invitation to discipleship to his disciples who have already believed. Because there's a sense in which every disciple should become more of a disciple. So he constantly challenges them right up until after his resurrection. When he's talking with Peter, he says, follow me. So it shows you that it can't be talking about salvation in those those kind of passages. Mm. Yeah. You know, when I'm reading this, you, I'm reading uh, from your book and we're, we're looking at Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Fishing and following is what your, your header is called here. And and I think that's really interesting for me because I, I don't know that uh, until I read this particular book that I understood there was a difference. Even though I had been exposed, I had been discipled and I'm part of Hope Builders Ministries, um, I did not understand that these men had already believed and their call to being a disciple was separate from that. But you, you use the word cost. What would be, and here your words say, um, we see this call to follow Jesus uh, he's inviting these men who had already met him and evidently already believed um, to become his disciples. That means that they had to commit to leaving their work, their source of income, and even their families, which they did. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. What, what would be the cost today? Because I think most people, I would say, well, God would never tell me to leave my family. Would he? Would, would he ask me to leave my work, my friends, my community? What are some of the costs that you see? Uh, for a disciple today? Well, to put it in biblical terms, um, I've identified in, in, in another book called Living in the Family of Grace that I wrote uh, as a discipleship manual, seven very clear uh, conditions that Jesus laid out to be a disciple. For example, he says you, you have to hate your father, mother, brother, and sister. Or in other words, you have to love me, he said, more than your father, mother, brother, sister, and so forth. So first, I think one of the first conditions or costs that we pay for discipleship is to put the relationship with Jesus Christ above all other relationship. Um, now, that doesn't mean we're going to obviously hate or neglect those around us. It means actually we're going to love them more. But there are times when you have to say no to others in order to say yes to God. And even as, as a pastor, you know, there are many times I would want to stay home and, and just relax with my children or play with them. But there was a need and I had sometimes had to address that need and go out. And uh, that's a that's a price you have to pay to follow the Lord. Um, that's one example of a cost you might pay. 
Uh, another example, actually, there's three conditions in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Uh, but to deny yourself means that you're denying yourself not only bad things like sin, but you may deny yourself your own ambitions and good things, good goals that you had. You may uh, switch from a goal of making money or or pursuing a career to uh, serving the Lord in, in ministry somewhere. So you're denying yourself what could have been a lucrative future or popularity or success, uh, recognition in the world in order to follow the Lord. Um, taking up your cross refers to, I think, uh, being willing to suffer for him. Um, and so we need to be willing to bear bear shame or suffering for his name. Uh, so the, those are just three examples of what it means to pay a price. Uh, the ultimate price he talks about in Luke 14 is to uh, give your whole self to him. So um, that includes everything. And that, that includes our finances, our relationships, uh, our goals, our ambitions, and, and everything. If we lay that at his feet. I think Romans 12.1 probably is a good description of discipleship or invitation to discipleship when he says, uh, I urge you brothers to offer your bodies a living sacrifice to God. In other words, everything that I have is in this body. So give myself completely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice, something he can use. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm so here, here's what think, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you talk. Everything that you have just said would fire up the common man. It would make, I mean, it's what made little boys join football teams and wrestling teams. And, and it, it makes men go into the military when you are committed everything to the Lord. But for some reason, we don't see men in the church. Um, and, and I have to wonder if it's because the church itself has not really focused its efforts on developing men to become disciples. Uh, I think that what you just described just, you know, it should make, and it just makes my heart beat more rapidly. Um, and that's, I think when I became a Christian, if I remember accurately, that was one of my fears. One of my fears is that I would not live this exhilarating life any longer, that I would not be filled with all these um, activities. It would be, I kind of pictured um, church life as sitting in a pew on Sunday and listening to music that I was not at all um, interested in hearing, like old hymns, which I now have a, <laughs> I now have a taste for. But back then I didn't. So what you just described is, it's full of, my, it, I don't know, just machismo. It's, it's got, I mean, it's like, yes, that's what men should be. That's what we're called to be. What do you think then um, is one of the obstacles? What are, what are some of the obstacles that you're seeing? You, you travel the world. You, obviously, you're, you're a teacher as well. What are some obstacles that have prevented the local church? Because that's who we're dealing with. We don't deal with the bigger churches. Most of it is little churches. That prevents pastors or local churches from actually focusing on making disciples, which is the Great Commission. Yeah, well, I think some of it may just be a lack of understanding about the Great Commission and, and Jesus's strategy for reaching the world. So the more we understand that, uh, I think the more we can commit to it and act on it. Uh, his strategy is not just simple addition, but multiplication. And, you know, as you know, he started with 12 and uh, and from there, his plan was to reach the world. Addition certainly brings people into uh, 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 Christianity and, and the kingdom of God, ultimately. Uh, but multiplication reaches the world much more quickly as we train those who become believers. So I think there's a lack, a little lack of understanding of strategy there. Uh, I, I think a lot of pastors are focused on 
uh, building their church. Uh, there, uh, and there's a lot of pressure on pastors, you know, to produce numbers and programs and, and so forth. So there's a lot of distractions. There's always the tyranny of the urgent things that need to be done. As a pastor, I know there's that that weekly rush uh, that starts on Monday and ends on Sunday. And um, it, it seems like there's little time for anything else. Uh, some of it may be cultural, too, I suspect, because in America, we have so many distractions recreationally. We have so many channels on TV to watch. We have so many books to read. Whereas I go to other countries and I see they're, when they lack these things, their focus is more on their faith. So the Bible, for example, in James chapter two, talks about those who are poor but rich in faith. And uh, that's one of the reasons I like ministering in some of these other countries is because the, when they lack so little, they tend to focus on the Lord more. And, and and commit more of their time and their lives to him. So with so many distractions and, and so many demands on our time, and so many different things that, that we can choose to do, uh, I think discipleship sometimes fall, falls by the wayside. I think we need to be convinced of its effectiveness as a strategy for reaching the world. And not, not just an effectiveness, but it's a command. And uh, it's a command that we cannot neglect. Okay, so let's think about encouragement. I'll, I'll share with my background. I told you before we started that I, I was a manager for Home Depot. And uh, so for a long time, my job was to hire, uh, develop, retain great talent. And that was one thing that Home Depot was known for back in the late 90s was we would uh, we would develop and grow people from within. So I started as like a truck driver. And within four years, I was running a $50 million store. Right. So I had people that had poured into me and my response. I remember when I was a, a department supervisor, my boss said to me, Mike, I want to promote you to be an assistant manager, but I cannot do that until you promote or you create and develop three people who can replace you. We, we was always about developing a future mm -hmm. pipeline. Um, I understood because of the business background and the fact that we were rapidly growing uh, that we needed to develop great talent. You've just described when you go overseas how um, you're seeing this hunger because there's less distractions. When we go to Africa, we have the same thing. I, it's just I was blown away. You, everyone wants to talk about Jesus. We do a conference. Hundreds of pastors would show up. I was amazed. Here, it's, it's a battle. So how could we encourage the local pastor um, based on what you've seen? Like you've taught, are you seeing multiplication take place in these countries that you're visiting and teaching? Yes, I do, because we, we usually have a certain program that we follow. Uh, it's called our Grace Life Institute, where we take them through some basic issues. Our priority is to ground them in the gospel of grace, because that's where it all starts and needs to start, and gives them a firm foundation for future growth once they settle the issue of um, their salvation and the security of their salvation. Uh, but then when we come back year after year, which usually summer after summer, it depends on where we are in the world. Sometimes it's winter. Uh, we, we, I always check up on them. I say, have you been teaching the things that we've taught you? And usually the answer is, yeah, we take your notes and we teach them everywhere. So I know that they're multiplying uh, what, what they have and uh, uh, teaching others uh, also, which is uh, what, you know, Second Timothy 2, 2 teaches us to do, to teach faithful men who will teach others also. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, we try to teach disciples who will teach disciples and looking beyond the first generation to future generations as well. And uh, I see them doing that. Um, I, I don't have a regular daily contact with them, but many do keep in touch. And, uh, um, and 
I keep informed and we have certain partnerships that uh, assure me of the things that they're doing. So you have accountability built in. We, we, we do similar things. You know, you, you're friends with Jeff Hawkins and Jeff will deal on a daily basis with uh, using WhatsApp and, and Zoom as well. And we'll deal with our pastors in Africa and Asia. Um, and he's constantly teaching and, and, you know, following up on what we've done or what's going on over there as well. We talk about a lot about a one-on-three model. Uh, you know, which we see with uh, Jesus spending special time with Peter, James, and John. What is your What does your model look like? Are you um, that multiplication model is really important? I've done the one on three. I like it, but I'd really like to know what Grace Life Institute is using to get this multiplication happening. Yeah, I don't know if we've defined a model so much as uh, evolved a model in my own thinking, and um, uh, I benefited greatly at the beginning of my Christian life from it. It was literally a one on. Uh, three model uh, where a pastor took three of us and we'd meet at 5.30 in the morning, eat breakfast together and memorize Bible verses and go through basic Christian truths. That was probably uh, just launched me uh, into my uh, a rapid pace of spiritual growth. So I'm always indebted to him for doing that. And I've, I've tried to do that in my pastoral ministry. Um, now, what I find when I study the scripture, if you want to be real scriptural about it, is that disciples come in many shapes and forms and discipleship doesn't take one particular method. Like as we certainly see it with Jesus and the three and then Jesus with the 12, but we also see it with Jesus and the 72 and, and so forth. Uh, so there's, there's not one way of doing it. I guess if you, if I had to draw a diagram, I would, I would picture a funnel and at, at the widest end of the funnel is anyone who's coming under the hearing of the word of the Lord and, and learning from that. Now, that sometimes takes place on a Sunday morning, usually does, or a Bible Bible class or something like that, where many people are learning. They're there, and they're following, and they're wanting to learn. So in, in that sense, they're disciples. I think, though, that as it gets narrow and the groups get smaller, it does become more effective because you can actually uh, participate in people's lives. I like what Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, I believe it is, where he talks about uh, how he... It was gentle with them like a mother. I exhorted them like a father. And he says he shared with them his own life. So you can't do that with a large class. A, lar- a lot of discipleship is just sharing your life with individuals. And of course, that would uh, it's more effective with a few. I know that the person who spent so much time with, with us as a, a group of about three guys would do things like, you know, take us on overnighters, uh, uh, to go fishing or camping or something like that. And uh, in that way, it's not just discipleship that's taught, but it's a life that's caught. We watch his lifestyle. We watch how he relates to his wife, his family. And and there's so much more to it than just the the um, uh, pedantic uh, teaching um, that appeals intellectually. So you, you, observe, you get to observe people at a closer level. So I, I think it's an effective model. Uh, if you if you have time and, and a way to do that. Um, when I stepped down as pastor in 05, I was looking forward to maybe doing that with some with a few men when I found out my, my schedule was so busy and took me so many places I couldn't do that. But I keep in regular touch with a number of young men, uh, young men younger than me anyway, that mm-hmm. um, on the phone and uh, kind of a mentoring type of relationship and uh, and encourage them along in their ministry. I'm, I, they know they can ask me anything, call me anytime. And that's true with other pastors and, and ministers around the world. Uh, so I do have that going, but uh, 
the 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 one on three model is a, is a is a good way of doing it in a local church situation. Hmm. You know, I'm wondering about uh, you and I have that we've been through a disciple program. That's I mean, for me, that's how I started, and you had a man pour into you. I, I think that one of the challenges that I see for a lot of pastors um, is that they've never been a part of a disciple-making ministry. They themselves have never had, other than, you know, maybe in a seminary classroom setting, which, you know, I, I love your funnel analogy. You know, you can only get so much. You have to get, I find that it's really effective when you're, when you, when you're ironing your sharpening iron, when you're sharing things that you can't share in a large group setting. Uh, that intimacy usually uh, works really well. Uh, so I wonder um, how would how would what advice could we get a give to a pastor who's never actually been through it? I, I, I think of uh, Spurgeon's statement on on the gospel uh, in his letters to his students, where he said how sad it must be for a uh, the minister who preaches the gospel on Sunday but has never experienced it himself. And I think how sad that is for somebody to speak of something they've never tasted. And now I'm trying to get these pastors to understand that multiplication through disciple making actually relieves them of a great deal of responsibilities and burdens. Where would they start if, if somebody were, had never been through it? What would be like the first step? What would you recommend to a local pastor? Uh, to be a discipler of others? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what I challenge people to do is if, if they're not involved actively in discipling others, I challenge them to, to ask God for one, two or three people that they can actively uh, per participate or share their lives with in a life of discipleship. I, I use Second Timothy chapter two, verse two uh, behind that exhortation, because Paul says the things you have learned from me teach to other men who will be able to teach others also. So you have four generations there. You have Paul, Timothy, those who are taught by Timothy and those who they will, those will, who will go and teach others. Um, so I, I challenge people to begin with prayer. Actually, that's how it started with me. This this fellow who uh, discipled me uh, and the others, uh, he, he made an announcement. He says um, he was at a conference and he says they challenged us to pray and ask God for two or three men that we can meet with. And so I'm just letting I was in a big group. And he says, I'm just letting you know that I'm looking for two or three young men. Uh, to meet with regularly. And, and I, I immediately said, that's me. <laughs> and I went up to him afterward and I said, I'm in. So it, 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 he, he prayed about it and asked God and I was the answer to that prayer. And so I, I think it's good for a pastor or anyone to start with prayer and just say, Lord, it doesn't have to be a pastor, it'd be women and all, you know, the, the, the model in Titus is that older women teach younger women. Uh, and, and just ask Lord, who can I pour my life into? So that's the start. And then you got to know where you're going and, and how you're doing it. And that involves maybe uh, a Bible study book, if you feel competent in that, uh, or a workbook, if you can find a good one. I've written a workbook for that, and it's been, it can be used on a one-on-one -on -one or whole classroom situation. It's been used like that all over the world. Um, and I did that with that in mind. Um, there are certain things that I think in discipleship we want to cover with people. And... Uh, and want them to understand about the gospel, which I, I think and you're going to get me off on a sidetrack here. But in, in my view of discipleship, a lot of people uh, have more of a checklist approach, you know, how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to witness to people, how to confess your sins. Those things are important and necessary, but 
I think we should first focus on the motivation because anybody that's motivated is going to follow through on, on any kind of commitment they make and is going to grow. And uh, even if they don't know what exactly to do, anybody that's motivated is going to figure it out. And so I developed a workbook that concentrates on uh, being motivated by understanding what the gospel is and the grace of God and what God has done for us. I patterned it after the book of Romans because in chapters 1 through 11, in Romans, he talks about what God has done for you. And he doesn't even tell us what to do for him until chapter 12. Now, think about that as a model for discipleship. Help people understand what God has done for them. Then they will be motivated to give their bodies a living sacrifice and follow through with all the other things he says in chapters 12 through through 16. So uh, they, they anyway, they what I'm saying is they need an approach, uh, something in mind. Uh, Matthew 10, 25 says it's enough that uh, a disciple become like his master. So we don't want him to become like us. We want to become like Jesus. What's going to what's the tool that's going to get him there? It's going to involve the word of God, of course. Um, maybe just a, a raw study of the Bible with no other helping materials. Uh, or it could be some materials that guide you through it. And along the way, of course, sharing your life as a pattern and example for people to follow. At Living in the Family of Grace, just happen to have one right here. It looks like this. It's one of my first books, and I, I developed it for a ministry that said, we want some discipleship material because people are asking us for it. And I looked around and I said, well, there's already a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's navigators, there's camp, Campus Crusader crew materials, but they all took more of a checklist approach to things. And uh, it, it almost gives you the sense that if you finish the book, you're a disciple and you get a certificate that says you're a disciple. But what I found from my own experience is that if you're motivated enough, and, and that means by, by an understanding of the grace of God, we love him because he first loved us. And if your life becomes a response to his love and grace, then you're motivated to do these things, not as a checklist approach, but out of love. And uh, even after the book is finished and the class is over, you'll still be motivated. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think I think I found a book in the Bible that really seems to do that. And that's the book of Romans. And so I focus on taking people the book through the book of Romans, which goes from sin to salvation, to sanctification, to security, to God's selection. And finally, to service at mm -hmm. the end of the book. Wow, that is I, I'm definitely going to order a copy of that one as soon as we're off with this call today. I think that's great. Um, I, I do find that that seems to be um, the first time I led a couple men through our 12 steps to Christian maturity. That was the that was the process in their mind. They thought, OK, I'm going to do these 12 lessons, whatever that looks like. Uh, at the end of it, I will have completed the task. And uh, we immediately began with we're going to pray not just for us as a group, but for the people that the Lord is going to bring into your life so that you can start to multiply. And um, it ends with being an ambassador. And I, and I think that is a really, uh, I, I think it's just a powerful picture for men that, you know, to, to go in the, the authority and the character of the one who sends you. And, and to me, that's, that, that's what I wanted to be when I became a follower of Christ. It, uh, it just was never going to be satisfying for me to sit in a pew. Not, not that I haven't heard some wonderful preachers and been through some wonderful worship services, but I like to exercise my faith. I may not physically exercise enough, but I like to exercise my faith. And so um, I wanted to live that out. And I love what your, your book looks like, especially that walking through Romans. So that, that will definitely be something we want to push out there. Um, so... Shifting it a little bit, I, I, we're going to take it off of that, but in 
I'd like to hear your worldview perspective on what you've learned in the last 12, 15 months. COVID has affected everyone. And what I'm finding, it's affected different countries differently. Um, For when we, when I speak to our our leaders in Zambia, um, which, you know, they don't have the same access to healthcare we do here in, in America. They don't have the same education. They don't have the same resources or comforts. Um, they're busier making disciples than they were five years ago. Um, they can meet in small group settings under 10 without any problems. There's no issues. They, they already have been meeting outside for years. So social distancing is not an obstacle for them to overcome. Um, I had hoped that one of the things that would have come out of COVID would have been a, um, a cry for the hope of Christ. But I'm not personally seeing that right now. Um, I'm seeing anger and frustration. What are some things that you're seeing or learning from COVID and as it relates to the gospel and making disciples? Well, that's a good question. COVID certainly did set us back on our heels uh, and and should have made us reflect and think a little bit more about our priorities and what's important in life. I don't know that it did that for everybody, unfortunately. but what it, what it has taught me is, uh, well, several things. One, one is that, um, uh, you know, grace gives people freedom. And there's so many different opinions about the, the disease and how to deal with it or the vaccine and so forth uh, that we have to learn to live and let live. We can make our choices, but there are others who may disagree. It's almost like a Romans 14 issue about questionable issues. Um, there's no biblical uh, statements about whether to get a vaccine or not. We just need to let people make up their own minds. And, and that's, that's one of the freedoms that grace gives us. I think another thing that it, it so it's, it's taught me, I guess, to be patient with people and their differences in the church and even within our own families. And another thing I think it's taught me is that the word of God is not chained. I love that saying with second uh, Timothy uh, two, nine, I believe it is where Paul, Paul says the word of God is not chained. And in Philippians one, he talks about while even while he's in prison, he's rejoices that the word of God is going out and the gospel is being preached everywhere. Hmm. That uh, there's nothing in this world that can really shut up uh, the Christian witness. Uh, Some of the places where Christians are, people are converting faster than anywhere else is in closed countries like China and Iran from what I hear. And um, the gospel is not chained either. So, uh, it it continues forth, um, and and that's encouraging to see. And I think another thing that COVID has forced us to do is uh, uh, suddenly there's an explosion of podcasts and the use of technology, whereas before, uh, you know, we would resort on uh, putting together some kind of mission trip to go and teach, and we still do. Uh, I'm teaching also pastors in Zambia uh, on. Um, Zoom and uh, preaching sermons in Philippines and Myanmar uh, by Zoom. Uh, and these are things I probably wouldn't have thought of or at least committed to. I've always wanted to do a podcast, but we finally started one after COVID. Be- I, and it just forced people to think of other ways uh, that God has given us to get the gospel out and maybe more effective ways, too, because it becomes a permanent record uh, that people can resort to, record, listen to. And um and reach more places. And so there are good things that come from, from something like as bad as COVID is. 
uh, I would hope that more people would think about their eternal destinies because of it. And I've used it as an example and to, to share the gospel more often. Uh, I don't know that I see that happening. I don't know that I see that kind of revival. Uh, I do see in some of these countries, though, people are, uh, are ministering. For example, uh, they're using they're ministering to physical needs, uh, but sharing it in the name of and sharing meeting those needs in the name of Christ. Uh, for example, in Myanmar, I know that they they have a shortage of oxygen, so people get sick and they don't have oxygen. The military government has seized control a year and a half ago and not making oxygen available to citizens. Well, we've sent money over there to help them with oxygen. That allows them to help their neighbors and so forth in the name of Jesus. And also, they're, and now that's a shortage of food, so they're buying rice and sharing that food with, with people in the name of Christ. Um, they're supposedly, <laughs> one of my friends wrote me and said, well, we're supposed to stay six feet apart or whatever it is, meters apart uh so we share got the gospel from six feet apart when we give them when we give them the food so there, there's that kind of thing going on that may not have otherwise have taken place and that's encouraging to see wow that, I, I love yeah you should do more podcasts you have a you have a great voice and and um i always hear one side or the other but you're you have this like nice balance to your message that i think is uh it, it just it provokes hope and i think that is that is a beautiful thing Grace Life Ministries uh, started when I was a pastor, actually, because I was getting requests for literature and uh, mission trips and things from outside the church. With small church that I started, I really couldn't support it financially. So with their blessing, I started Grace Life Ministries because there were other people who wanted to give and donate to those kind of projects. So um, Grace Life Ministries, what I tell people in kind of a short way is that uh, we share the gospel with unbelievers. We share the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Uh, obviously, by our name, our emphasis is on grace because everybody talks about grace as a Christian, but there are, there's a great misunderstanding of what grace is. Some people talk about costly grace or cheap grace when the Bible teaches that grace is absolutely free. It's an unmerited gift of God. And the moment we put any kind of performance or price on it, we it immediately shifts our focus from Christ to ourselves and what we're doing in our own performance, which gets people mired in uh, introspection and doubts and fears, uh, uncertainty about their salvation. So unless unless grace is clearly taught and people understand that salvation cannot be earned or, or kept or or proven by our works, uh, they'll, they'll get mired in this kind of uh, doubt and um, introspection. And I find that all over the world, wherever I go, including the United States, that Christians just live in fear and doubt. And they're liberated when they understand the grace of God cannot be deserved or earned or kept or, or proven by our works. And it liberates them. It puts a big smile on their hearts. It changes their life. I, you, you literally see rooms by the end of the week uh, of frowning pastors go to smiling pastors, pastors who said that they have been telling their people for 20 years they're going to hell and they even thought them they themselves might go to hell suddenly have the assurance of their salvation and begin to preach the gospel so grace life is really about getting people grounded in grace starts with the gospel and uh, we we do that in a number of ways uh, of course i produce literature and we have a podcast and we do our grace life institute training and i teach for other schools as well in the united states and overseas we do conferences and uh, just just any way that the Lord leads us, uh, we we do that kind of uh, that kind of ministry. But the emphasis is really on getting the gospel right. 
because that's where it all starts. Get that wrong and everything gets off on the wrong trajectory in the rest of your Christian life. Yeah. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, a, a friend from our old church, and we were t- he was like, boy, I really miss the good old days of, of uh, brimstone and hellfire. And, and I, it really struck me that um, fear, which is what I'm seeing in the world today, is, is a temporary motivator. But love, love is this like eternal motivator. When I realized that, that God loved me, that Jesus died for me, that he loved me, I just, that was it. I, I just, I, and I had never experienced love like that. So people have been telling me most of my life that, yeah, I was, and those are, I believe that, you know, you know, there's judgment coming, but I, the, it didn't scare me enough to last long-term. But when I recognized the love of God, my life was transformed. So I appreciate what you're doing. Cause I Absolutely, think that's yeah. I've actually got an article on my website that uh, identifies six motivators. And I put love and gratitude at the top and fear at the bottom. Uh, but you'll find them all in the scriptures. And um, uh, we love him because he first loved us. And, and our life is just to be a big thank you for what he's done for us. And that's the greatest motivation in the world. And that's why we write so many songs about love and read poems about love and stories about love, because that's what motivates people more than anything. That's that's true. One of the things that we do each week is I ask uh, our guests to share the gospel. Uh, my hope is that um, we're going to equip somebody to go out and share the gospel. Um, when, when I was thinking about the other day, when, when I first got saved, I was called about a week or two later uh, from the pastor. He said, we're going to send some people over there. They're training on how to share the gospel. Just act like you don't know. But I was so new at, at being saved. I, I was answering all their questions with, <laughs> with all the things I had just learned. I was just so excited. Um, but I think a lot of people are fearful of sharing the gospel because they're afraid that somebody's going to, they're going to do it wrong. They don't know the right scriptures. They don't have it all written down properly. Maybe today you could be a blessing and, and share the gospel for them so that they can go out and do it with the people that they know and love. Sure. I just like to encourage people to share the gospel uh, by just essentially sharing their testimony first, because Jesus called us to be witnesses. We can always just say, if we don't know exactly the words to say or the scriptures to point to, we can always say, Jesus changed my life. And here's how anybody can do that. And um, and then to learn a simple gospel presentation, the simplest one I always encourage people to learn as from uh, my friend Larry Moyer and his ministry of Antel, which is simply the telling of the bad news and good news approach, that there is bad news. And the bad news is that uh, we're all sinners separated from God. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin means to miss the mark. God is absolutely perfect. And we know that we're not perfect because we lie, we're proud, uh, we lose our temper and, and do many other things that are even worse. Any of those sins, just one of them keeps us from God's presence for all of eternity because he's a just and holy God. And um, and then the Bible says that the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. Death meaning separation from God so that in this life, we can't experience the life that he has for us. And in eternity, we will be separated from him forever. Those are terrible uh, wages to pay for our sin. But God, the good news is that God loved us so much that he did something to uh, make it possible for us to be with him in this life and forever. 
and uh, he took a body of flesh or he be, or he sent his son uh, both both are true and uh, he came to earth and Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live and then he died the perfect death because he he was a, he was 100% man and 100% god and he died for us on the cross as a payment for our sin to satisfy god's justice and because he is the son of god his payment was sufficient for all of the world so now there's nothing to separate us from god except for our unbelief and uh god the scriptures say in romans 5 8 god demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us he didn't die for good people he died for sinners like you and me and then he rose from the dead and because he rose from the dead jesus is able to offer us the gift of eternal life so the good news is that we can be saved through faith in him the bible says in ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace which is a free gift you have been saved he's telling the ephesians you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself it's a gift of god that means absolutely free not by works lest anyone should boast so if we accept it as a free gift we can be saved if we try to work for it we can never earn or be good enough for salvation and uh, god only gives free gifts when it comes to salvation he does not uh reward us for any good works that we do because we can't do anything good to undo what we've done which is bad so so the way we are saved is by simply receiving the free gift of eternal life that jesus christ offers us because he paid the price on the cross when he said it is finished meaning that he has paid for all of our sins and a person can know for sure that they're that they have a relationship with god in this life and for all of eternity by simply receiving that free gift i always hold up my hands because faith is like is brings nothing to god but only receives what he has given to us which is eternal life through jesus christ his son and they can do that with their eyes open there's no special words that you don't have to join a church um, you don't have to pray a, a, a special prayer. Um, you can do that as soon as you understand the gospel and believe that God loves you and sent his son for you. Well, sir, I really do appreciate your time today. And uh, I just thank you for being a blessing to, uh, to our ministry. I know that we share a lot of your messages with our, our brothers down in Africa on a regular basis. So your your words are going out and we really appreciate it well thank you mike i appreciate the time with you and uh getting to share with you this morning it's been a privilege for me thank you for tuning in learn more and download the disciple makers app at www.hbmin.org that's www.hbmin.org you can also get information about our certificate of ministry program ambassadors of hope our forthcoming House Church Network, Fellowship of Hope for the U.S., and find out how your church can host a Disciple Makers Conference. We hope you will continue to join us in our journey of making disciples for Christ everywhere, all the time to the end of time. Go out and be a hope builder today. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.